my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 566. Welcome in. I uh, got a lot of sports news to talk about today. I'm really excited. We got some stories here and there. Um, I want to say, first of all, I'm trying, you know, I, I talked a lot when I relaunched the show uh, like a, a month and a half ago now, two months ago, whatever it was. I want to be better at communication, be very clear, be a high-level communicator with you guys, the audience. And so um, I, I want to be clear about this. The next week of my life is a bit turbulent. Turbulent meaning it, it's a good kind of turbulent. Um, my girlfriend's going to be visiting town. And I live in Hawaii. She does not. This will be the last time I get to see her probably until after the football season, literally. So um, if the show is a bit sporadic next week, that's why everything's good. My life's awesome. I'm happy. I know for sure uh, she's getting a rental car on Wednesday, Thursday. We're going to go explore the island. And so, like, I'm not working those days. Just being straight up and up front, you know, if the, the show next week's a bit like, you're like, what's happened to Zach? Is he dead? What's going on? No, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. Nothing's wrong. I'm just busy enjoying my life. Um, I am going to work while she's here. I already told her, like, look, I can't take much time off. I got to do the show. But... If you're wondering next week, like, what's going on? That's what, nothing's wrong. Everything is good, I promise. On top of that, like, I got a lot of film analysis stuff I'm working on. And, you know, the, the season starts, I guess, the second week of September. First week of September, we'll do an episode doing the predictions round two, like my final predictions, how I landed and settled on everything. Um, I also have a lot of film analysis projects I've been working on. It's really bad. I have ADD, so, like, I was watching Kenny Pickett. Then I jumped over to Daniel Jones. Then I'm like, ah, I'm curious about Jared Goff. And I, I really need to focus on probably one person. I'm running out of time. I'm not sure what these projects are going to turn into. My vision for this is going to be what I'd like to do is a, a one episode of the show, like an hour and a half long, dedicated to film analysis, where like I make these amazing, cool segments, and then I record a show and kind of throw to, here's the segment I recorded about. Jared Goff, here's a segment I recorded about Geno Smith, about this guy, about that guy. And then at the end, what I really want to do is talk about the quarterbacks they played against all year because in gathering their film, I have Patrick Mahomes playing a couple games. I've got Josh Allen. I've got Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson. And as I've been going through their film, I take a peek at the other quarterback they're playing against, and I'm like, man, that's an amazing throw for Josh Allen. Particularly, you know, Kenny Pickett playing Buffalo last year. Josh Allen made two throws last year where I'm like, that 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 just is not physically possible for almost anyone else in the NFL. It's amazing. And I want to highlight those plays. So um, I just want to tell you, like, I have an idea. Film analysis is coming. I will do probably what that show will be will be like an hour-long film analysis podcast where, like, I show film for the YouTube audience, but I also talk through it. So the audio listeners, it sounds coherent. It makes sense. It's not just a visual show. It's an audio show that you can listen to. Uh, and then what I will do is clip out the individual segments from that show as a Kenny Pickett film analysis, a Jared Goff film analysis, a Daniel Jones film analysis, yada, yada, and so forth. So I am excited, but I tell you that all to say that, hey, between today and when the season starts is going to be really hectic. Girlfriends visiting town, work on a film analysis. I, I ask you, please be patient with me because I'm, I've got a lot of balls in the air. I'm juggling, trying to land and figure out how to make it all fit. So um, it's ambitious. It's going to be awesome, I think. But uh, uh, please give me patience. I promise you once the season starts, it'll be 
bam, four episodes a week, probably five, because I got to film it out. I got a fantasy football league going. I want to make content about that. It'll be regular and easy to follow, and you will never, ever question, where's an episode? But between now and the start of the year, it might be a bit turbulent. That is why. Um, I do want to say I am recording two episodes today. This is episode 566. I'm recording 567 right after this. That episode will come out tomorrow. That episode is going to be a fun one. I am, for the first time in my entire life, participating in a fantasy football league. I have never done fantasy football. I've made fun of it a lot over the years. This year, I said, hey, you know what? Got a bunch of awesome friends on Patreon. Let's bring 15 of them. We'll make a 16-man league. And it has been... Oh, I, we haven't even started the year, and it's been so much fun. Community, it's fun. The group chat is really cool. It's just been a blast for me. Um, I am not entirely sure what I'm doing. I'm going to make content about my adventure, learning as I go. You know, Zach's first time doing film analysis or doing fantasy football. I keep saying film analysis. Zach's first time doing fantasy football. Um, that'll be interesting. By the way, all the other times I said film analysis earlier in the show, I met film analysis, but now we've transitioned to fantasy football. So two different things. They both start with F. It's very confusing for my brain. Um, so like the next episode of the show, and I, I'm going to be very careful with fantasy football content this year. I I know there's not everyone who likes fantasy football, so it will always be its own show. I am never going to have fantasy football bleed into the regular Strong Opinion Sports show. There are separate t- things in my head. I like that better. So a weekly show dedicated to my adventure doing fantasy football. I like that every Wednesday. Um, there probably won't be another one until leading up to week one of the season because there's not a lot of fantasy football stuff between now and the season starting. But I want to recap my draft in the next episode. I'll tell you why I drafted the players I drafted, tell you some fun stories about the league. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, the only other note I have leading into the show today is that I live next to a bunch of military bases, and oh my goodness, the jet sounds. I don't know what they're doing up in the sky. You hear like a... I, I, my dream... Uh, in fact, very briefly, I literally I quit the show, and I was going to go try to be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. I've always wanted to go fast. I love, I love, love, love fighter jets. They're so cool. Um, I ended up coming back to do this. I, 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 I'm very happy doing this. But um, I, I see them in the sky. They're amazing. They're so cool. Although in the last day and a half, I don't know what's going on up there. It's all day. It's not like a little bit. I don't think the microphone can hear them, but they are going right now. They are just like just doing flybys all day. I don't know what's happening in the Air Force right now. I don't know what's going on. There's like four bases on this island. And uh, my gosh, it's been very distracting trying to do everything. I I guess, thank God, they don't fly at like 3 a.m. But like, man, um, I don't know what what's happening. They have ramped up their level of flying around the island. I'm not sure why, but it is intense and very interesting. Let's jump into football today. I know you guys probably want to hear about sports. Um... First of all, it was announced today, officially, Sam Darnold is the number two quarterback on the depth chart in San Francisco. This is something I have said for a long time. We saw it coming. Um, I, like, I ha- I'm not going to, I don't want to brag here. I, how, do I, uh, how do I get around this? I, I've put myself in a corner word-wise. So let me just say, basically, since Sam Darnold got there, I have known he's the number two quarterback. Um, you know, Trey Lance, they keep hoping he's going to work out. 
it's not working. It's now been announced that they are reportedly, I guess not right now, it's been reported that the 49ers are, see, I got to be careful with how I talk to you guys. It's been reported that the 49ers are exploring options for Trey Lance. What is his future for us? They traded three first-round picks to move up and draft him. He's not their franchise quarterback. He's not even their backup quarterback. He is far behind Sam Darnold in understanding of the playbook and the offense. And I am personally hoping that they trade him away. Let's see him in another system. I think Minnesota, that's exactly who should make a move for him. Minnesota should trade for Trey Lance. They've got Kirk Cousins. Kirk's contract is up after this year. If you can bring Trey Lance in now, you have the whole season for him to sit on your roster, learn the playbook, get to know him as a player, and then make a decision, hey, are we going to stick with him for next year or are we going to have to draft someone to replace him? But I don't think Kirk Cousins will be the quarterback in Minnesota in 2024. Unless they like the potential of Trey Lance, but he's not ready yet, and they're like, you know what we're going to do? One more year, Kirk Cousins, we will overpay you on a one-year deal. I don't think that's going to make sense for either side of that deal, by the way. So, um, Trey Lance, can he go to Minnesota, please? He's from Minnesota. He played at North Dakota State, which is on the border of Minnesota and North Dakota. I've been through Fargo, North Dakota. It's basically Minnesota. You're like, oh my gosh, like what's happening here? So I would like to see him back home in Minnesota and playing in a situation where they probably are going to need a quarterback next year. They've got a really quarterback-friendly coach. Um, I think Trey Lance, Minnesota makes sense to me. Now, I don't know that he's any good. I, you can trade for him. What I've seen on film so far and, and watching their games this preseason, dude can barely throw a spiral. He can't read a defense. The game is moving way too fast for him. He's not a great athlete. I am not that impressed with Trey Lance. I don't, at this moment, believe he is a franchise quarterback for any NFL team. But I'd like to see Minnesota make a move for him, give up a fifth-round pick. We'll see what happens. That'd be interesting. But I don't think it makes sense for the 49ers to keep him. I think he's their most expensive quarterback right now. Like, yeah, you're not paying your third-string quarterback to be the most expensive guy on your roster. It just does not make sense. So, um, look, we'll see. I am not impressed with Trey Lance, and I, you know, I've known for a long time he's a third-string quarterback in the 49ers system, and so not a surprise, but it is interesting. Hey, everyone, it's Zach. I'm in a different shirt. Uh, it's later in the day. I was sitting down to record the second episode of the day, all about fantasy football, episode 567, and I was reflecting on the 49ers conversation today about how Sam Darnold is the number two quarterback in San Francisco, and I realized that that conversation got entirely dominated by talking about Trey Lance, and I didn't focus on Sam Darnold. And so uh, I want to tell you, I, I really feel great about Sam Darnold in San Francisco. And him being the number two quarterback not only means that Trey Lance is number three, but also that Sam Darnold is number two. And meaning that if Brock Purdy gets hurt or if Brock Purdy struggles or has a moment this year where he doesn't look great, we could see Sam Darnold playing significant snaps in a 49ers uniform this year. I feel great about that. Um, I, I want to kind of get ahead of this. I'm saying this now. I even did a topic. I got a lot of hate and anger for it, saying Sam Darnold could become the starting quarterback in San Francisco. But I really believe this. I mean, Sam Darnold kind of got shafted during his NFL career. He got drafted by the Jets. They had a bad offensive line, a ridiculous coach, Adam Gase, that didn't work out. The Jets was a bad situation for him. Then he goes to the Panthers, where he had a coach that failed, Matt Rule. It didn't really work out there. I would argue Sam Darnold has never been in as good of a situation 
as he's in right now with the 49ers. And you have to start Brock Purdy week one. Brock Purdy led them to an NFC title game last year. The locker room supports Sam Darnold. The locker room supports Brock Purdy. And if you bench Brock Purdy going into week one for Sam Darnold, you're going to lose the locker room. Right now, the locker room wants to see Brock Purdy. That's who they're behind. But if Brock Purdy struggles and isn't winning games or gets hurt, we're going to see Sam Darnold. And I really think it would mutiny. if Even if Sam Darnold's a better quarterback, I'm not sure. We don't know that. But even if Sam Darnold was better than Brock Purdy going into week one, it's just not a good move in the locker room. The team would mutiny if you didn't play Brock Purdy week one. That is who the locker room supports. He took them. We heard Trent Williams talking about this uh, during the preseason game. He came in and he led them down one easy drive. They kick a field goal, but he did great and led them right down the field. And Trent Williams is like, that's what he did when he just picked up where he left off last year. The locker room supports Brock Purdy. But I, I am hedging my bets here, man. I really think if Sam Darnold gets an opportunity to play this year, best team he's ever played on, best coaching staff he's ever played on, best offensive line he's ever had, Sam Darnold has never been supported the way he would be in San Francisco. And if there's an opportunity for Sam Darnold here this year in San Francisco, he's going to play at a high level. I really believe that. He's been incredible in the preseason. And I want to read you a quote. Here's a kind of a wild thing that 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan said about Sam Darnold. I don't know why Kyle Shanahan decided to say this. I have my theories. I think part of it is that Kyle Shanahan is hedging his bets as well, saying, look, if Brock Purdy doesn't work out, I want to instill confidence in Sam. I want to lay the foundation for if Sam Darnold plays, people can point to this quote. Remember, I had confidence in Sam early on. But here is what Kyle Shanahan went out of his way to say about Sam Darnold. Here's what it is. He said, Kyle Shanahan talking about Sam Darnold said, Steve Young took a while to get going. And he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I don't like to compare anyone to Steve because of how good he is, but why can't Sam be like that? He's got that type of ability. Why would you say that about your backup quarterback if you never intend to see him play football? Just saying. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe Sam Darnold literally never plays and Brock Purdy is amazing this year. But why would you give that kind of glowing praise to your backup quarterback? You know, it's interesting. And I think there's a reason they brought in Sam Darnold. Kyle Shannon has liked him for a long time. I am telling you what, guys. I think Sam could play this year. I think Sam could be phenomenal in a 49ers uniform. And their coach kind of agrees. You, you don't go out of your way to make this kind of quote. Make this kind of comment. On your it, You know, if you really believe in Brock Purdy, why are you saying this kind of stuff about your backup, not about Brock Purdy? You know, why are you not comparing Brock Purdy to Steve Young? You know what I mean? It's interesting. And Sam Darnold is more talented. Better arm, better playmaker. Not saying Brock Purdy can't do well in the system. But man, Sam Darnold can do some incredible stuff running the football, extending plays, keeping plays alive. He's not going to run like Lamar Jackson, but it's a very, very interesting quote from Kyle Shanahan comparing his backup quarterback to a Hall of Fame quarterback from the 49ers, Steve Young. Why do you do that if you're not planning to play him ever? You know, he, he knows something we don't know. And uh, I think Sam Darnold's been amazing during the preseason. Guys, I am telling you. I said it weeks ago. I'm saying it now. If Sam Darnold gets an opportunity to play in a 49ers uniform this year, starting in a meaningful football game, he's going to play at a high level. I feel great about it. And you got to understand, he's never been in a situation like he's, he would have in the 49ers uniform. Great offensive line, great coaching staff, putting him in a position to succeed. Great receivers everywhere. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. It's insane. 
I think Sam Darnold, a lot of potential there in San Francisco. And Sam, you know, Trey Lance is kind of a failure. Brock Purdy's got a lot to prove, but he did well last year. Sam Darnold is the guy who is probably the most talented thrower of the football in that quarterback room. I know no one likes to hear it. I know it's kind of insane, but guys, if he gets a chance, think he's going to play really well. And uh, what a comeback that would be. Anyway, I'll leave you to it. Enjoy the rest of the show. Have a great day. And uh, hey, this is the set. This is what I'm wearing for the fantasy football episode I'm recording later today. If you like fantasy football, listen in to Zach's first fantasy football adventure. Have a great day. Enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, one other th- news story before we get into, I've got a lot of, it's just news today. It's a lot of stuff that's been happening. Uh, this is not in my notes, but I want to talk about it. Jets receiver Corey Davis is retiring from football. Uh, he announced that on social media. He, uh, former first round pick uh, to Tennessee. The one thing, so Corey Davis's career in the NFL, he's been serviceable, never became the star receiver. I think that people hoped he would. He was amazing in college. Um, I've got a lot of respect for Corey Davis. He's a young man who's going to get out of the league with a lot of money. He's healthy. Good for him. Uh, I don't think he was climbing up the depth chart with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets organization. He was just kind of floundering. And um, one thing, I guess the reason why I bring up Corey Davis today, there's a factor here I don't think a lot of people know about, and I don't think a lot of people are considering when they talk about Corey Davis, this former first-round pick, he's a bust, he sucks, he never worked out. Uh, in 2020, Corey Davis's brother, Titus Davis, died of cancer. My brother died unexpectedly, different circumstance. He took his own life in 2016. I am still, uh, seven years later, not okay. Like, it's still a thing I'm dealing with. If my brother died of cancer three years ago and I'm Corey Davis and my career in the NFL is not going great, my brother's dead, I'm kind of a mess. I understand him wanting to like, dude, I, I need to t- step away and figure my life out. Um, I think that's an angle here. I would imagine no one's talking about the 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 dead brother thing. It's a big deal. Um, I still, like I watched a movie recently. It was a Marvel movie. I'm not going to, I, for spoiler reasons, I'm not going to say which one, but uh, uh, um, a... A brother died in that movie for for lack. Of, that's the only thing I'm going to say. I, I think that I can say that without spoiling anything. I really struggled to watch it. I was like, man, I, it's been years for me, and I'm still having a hard time with this. I can't imagine how that's impacting Corey Davis's life today. Um, and I just wonder, you know, he's stepping away from the NFL. What what's going on for Corey Davis? His brother played football as well. Um, I just wonder if that's a factor here with Corey Davis. Mental health, him being okay, taking care of himself. That kind of stuff matters, and I think no one's probably talking about that. With Corey Davis retiring, I would imagine a lot of people are hating on him, calling him a bust, saying he's a failure. I would counter by saying he probably right now is just taking care of his mental health. And, you know, like that's a thing that is often discounted in our society that I think really matters. And I just think, uh, you know, I, I... I don't know. It's worth mentioning, I guess, when it comes to Corey Davis. Now, let's talk about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has been named the starting quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Woo! Let's go! Uh, It's a huge opportunity for Baker. I'm excited to watch him this year. Now, let's be clear about something, though. If it doesn't work out for Baker in Tampa, he's never going to get a situation this good ever again. I could see Baker Mayfield 
Baker Mayfield, after this year, if it doesn't work out, he's not the great quarterback that Tampa's hoping he will be. I could see him becoming a backup quarterback somewhere. Then maybe if someone gets hurt or the right situation happens, he becomes a starting quarterback like mid-year for a little bit. But he's never going to get probably an opportunity to be a week one starter in the NFL ever again after this. And what he's got in Tampa, he's throwing to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. He's got a stud rookie receiver, Trey Palmer. Got a great left tackle, Tristan Wirfs. I mean, this is as good as it gets for a guy like Baker Mayfield, the guy who has bounced around the NFL in the last two years and really struggled to find a home. Um, he's got a good defense. He's got a shot to win the division. This is a great opportunity for Baker Mayfield. And I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure Baker Mayfield's going to ha- have an amazing year. But there is, of the world of infinite universes, I love to think about all the possibilities that could happen. One of the possibilities is Baker's horrible, gets benched midseason, and nothing really comes of it, and he's probably out of the league. Another possibility, though, is that Baker finds a home and plays really well with Mike Evans and really well with Chris Godwin. He's got a good offensive line, a good defense. They win that division. I mean, it's really like boom or bust with Baker Mayfield. It could go any direction. And one like kind of interesting storyline here is that Baker Mayfield's going to get to play his former team, Carolina, two times this year. And Baker's had a very weird career so far up until this point. He, you know, Baker... Once he becomes the starting quarterback week one and actually makes the start, he will become the first quarterback to start for four different NFL teams in two calendar years. You know, in January 2022, he was a starting quarterback in Cleveland. Later in 2020, last last season officially, he was a starting quarterback for Carolina, then the Rams. And now in September 2023, he will be the QB1 in Tampa. Been a wild ride. I like Baker. I've always rooted for Baker. I think he's interesting and compelling. He's got a lot to prove. But if you don't know the story of Baker Mayfield, this is a guy who was a two-time walk-on in college. He was undersized. No one would give him a scholarship. He walked on to Texas Tech as a true freshman, was their starting quarterback, played amazing until he got hurt. Then he had to transfer to Oklahoma, walk on there. From Oklahoma, he becomes the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, number one overall pick. Goes to Cleveland, wins a playoff game. That's not supposed to happen. No one can win a playoff game in Cleveland. I'm not saying Baker's amazing, but he is an amazing story. You may not like Baker. You may hate him. You may love him. He's very polarizing as a person and as a player. I would like to see Baker Mayfield make a big comeback. I don't know that he will. But certainly, I am rooting for Baker Mayfield this year in Tampa. How about Indy? Let's talk about them. Is I drink my my flavored water, sugar free. You know, people say that the the sweeteners that are not sugar are bad for you, but I'm like, sugar's worse. Like, sugar's horrible. So I don't know. I drink a lot of this stuff. It's like the great value Mio crap. It's uh, not a sponsor, but it, and I drink it very watered down. It's a very light colored purple. A lot of my other people I see use it very dark colored purple. I just want a little bit of taste to my water. Sorry, I you know. Uh, you know, I in the a world where like we think Pluto has got a an ocean under the ice and there might be life there, I'm like, okay, no one give me crap for having my flavored water. I, I you know I just don't have any energy for like, you know, like cancers out there. There's all this horrible stuff. Let me have the thing I like, my flavored water that is just you know it's a little bit of taste. You know, it's like ah, no sugar in it. I'm happy. I love it. Anyway. Sorry, but I, I mentioned Pluto to say, like, I think about the universe all the time because I'm an insane person. I watch all these documentaries about space, and I just go, like, 
man, we really are just living in the weirdest world where like we care about the dumbest stuff and the things that I think are so interesting we don't care about at all. And uh, no, capitalism's awesome. Anyway, Colts running back Jonathan Taylor has been given permission by the Colts to seek a trade. So he can go approach another team and say, hey, do you want me? Now, this is all nonsense. I've, I would imagine the sports world is having conversations. Which teams might trade for Jonathan Taylor? Oh, who's going to make a move? Nobody's going to make a move. It's not going to happen. I don't think it's even worth entertaining the idea of a Jonathan Taylor trade. Look, I'd love to see it. Miami would be awesome. Jonathan Taylor in Miami playing with Tua for Mike McDaniel. Probably getting a new contract. You know, Mike McDaniel, former run game coordinator in San Francisco. It's an awesome idea. Or maybe Denver. That'd be kind of cool. But like, come on, what are we doing? It's not going to happen. It's nonsense. This is the Colts posturing and saying, oh, you want a new contract? Well, go seek a trade. Go see what your value is. And the unfortunate reality behind the scenes is that the Colts are asking a first round pick in return for Jonathan Taylor. They're like... You want Jonathan Taylor? Give us a first-round pick. That's not going to happen. No one's giving up a first-round pick for Jonathan Taylor. He wasn't even drafted as a first-round pick. He was a second-round pick. Running backs aren't valuable like that anymore, especially not one who has been injured before. So uh, the running back market's super low. He's not going to go anywhere. It, it just This is a, a nonsense story that's been put out there. It's really the Colts, again, they're posturing. They're like, oh, you're not happy here. Well, go see what's out there. Nobody wants you. But it's not a real offer. It's not a real, like, the Colts are not genuine in saying, oh, we'll trade you if you can find a good trade. But by the way, the thing we're asking for you is unrealistic and not possible. I don't know. Jonathan Taylor was a second-round pick in 2020. He was the NFL-leading rusher in 2021. He's 24 years old. I love the guy. And given what he can do and what he's already done for the Colts organization, he's monumentally underpaid. I I think it's kind of absurd. He doesn't have a long-term contract after this year. And it's unfortunate, you know? Uh, This is where the running back market is right now. Like, if you do anything good, you're not going to get rewarded. And I think it makes sense financially. NFL teams have no reason to pay a running back. I would also even argue what's the how great really is a running back without a good offensive line. But I still feel for Jonathan Taylor. It's very sad to me. He's getting shafted and he's not going to get traded. It's just what the Colts are asking for. A first round pick for Jonathan Taylor isn't going to happen. And so it's a bit of nonsense, but it's worth mentioning like, yeah, this happened. Let's acknowledge it and point out how silly it all is. This whole conversation goes nowhere because no one's going to actually trade for Jonathan Taylor. And if the Colts were offered a Jonathan Taylor trade, which they probably already have been offered, by the way. They wouldn't accept it because the asking price is too high. They've got too good a deal on a cheap running back who can play at a high level. Why? They, there's no leverage here for Jonathan Taylor. Why would the Colts give him up? So that's that. Um, linebacker Miles Jack has retired. And if a linebacker, he joined the Eagles a couple weeks ago. They were kind of hoping he would maybe compete for a starting job in the linebacker position. Didn't really work. He actually fell down the depth chart. Nicobe Dean is there really good middle linebacker. He's really solidified that position and um, good for the Eagles, by the way. Nicobe Dean working out, looking great. Miles Jack spent seven years in the NFL. He played six in Jacksonville, played one year last year in Pittsburgh, went to Bellevue High School uh, near Seattle, Washington, went to UCLA, 
His NFL career, uh, he ended up having over 600 tackles, 617 to be specific. Four times in his NFL career, four out of the seven years he played, he had over 100 total tackles. I I like Miles Jack. I think he's awesome. I watched Bellevue High School play growing up uh, on TV. I, I lived in the Northwest. They were a dominant force. I watched him play running back and linebacker and kill everybody, basically. Um, walking away from the game earlier is probably better for your long-term health. I think that's worth mentioning. Like, he's a, still a young man, under 30. Um and apparently, this is really what drew me to the story. I've heard Miles Jack talk about this before. He was considering a trade school before coming back for a final year, you know, to try one more time with the Eagles. He was apparently looking at becoming a, you know, a plumber or an electrician, going to a trade school. It's interesting to me because Miles Jack, his, his career earnings are reportedly over, or I guess like 49 point something million dollars. So just under $50 million is what Miles Jack made in the NFL. Now, on top of that, you know, let's assume the government takes like half of that. So he made roughly probably $25 million during his NFL career. Um, you know, by the time you buy a house in Bellevue, Washington, where he's from, uh, you probably want to buy your mom a house if you haven't already. You have a car. I don't know how much money's left, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I'm sure he has some money left and can ride off it for a while. But you also don't just want to sit in your house and do nothing. You want something to do. And Miles Jack doing a trade is kind of interesting and compelling. And there's good money in the trades. I've worked in the trades. I did HVAC. Um, look, the Seattle trade union jobs are the best in America. Like Seattle, if you're going to do a job as a trade, go to Seattle. You will find a really good life there. My, a lot of my family does that. Um, my sister keeps telling me, move to Seattle, go be an electrician. It'll be great. And like, she's not wrong. Um, and... What I liked about the trades is as a former athlete, it gave me the same atmosphere as football, right? You wear your work pants or boots. That feels like your uniform to me. Like when you play football, you're not worried about getting muddy or getting dirty because you're wearing your uniform. You're going to take it off after. And there's also a feeling when after practice, you're walking around in your football pants or your whatever, and you go to the, the store, people look at you different like, oh, he's a football player. And I was the quarterback in our town. So people would say, you're Zach Schellmer. I would say, yes, I am. Hello. Hi. I think I, I did the politic thing really well uh, as a starting quarterback in, in just high school football. In my little little town, little Fred Meyer. I'm like, oh, yeah, hi. It's me. Um, but I, li I like that. After I got off work as an HVAC worker, I really thought I got treated differently. When I go to, like, the store after work and I'm in my boots still and I've got, like, you know, caulking from, like, sealing a wall. You know, you run a pipe through a wall and you seal the hole. I got that on my shoulder a bit. I'm a bit dirty from like crawling in the dirt or crawling in a crawl space. Like I felt like I got treated better. People looked at me differently. There was a, a sense of like, oh yeah, I earned, like I look this way because I earned it. I'm a real guy. I do real work. So wearing the uniform is cool. I love feeling skilled at something again, like feeling really good at what I did. Like I was a great installer of air conditioning units. I was so good at that. Uh, I found being part of a team really fun. That's one thing about the trades is, you got guys around you. And if you're part of a good team, I'm sure not everyone is. If you're not, you should leave and go find a good one. But I was part of a great team where I loved everybody I worked with. I loved my boss. If you don't like our head coach, um, who was this camaraderie that I loved. I had a partner. We drove around Portland, Oregon, and we're like, you know, it was like a buddy cop show, but we're installing air conditioning units. It was fun, man. It was physically gratifying. Um, I say all this to say, if Miles Jack goes into the trades, I think he could find a good life. And if you are a person not sure what to do, I would actually encourage you to consider the trades as well. There's good money, healthcare, they take care of you. 
Um, it's not an easy job, but no job is easy. My job isn't easy. I talk about sports for a living. Believe it or not, it's a difficult job. I do a lot of work. I probably work more than I did during, while I was in the trades. And that's another thing is when you're doing the trades, when you're done, you're done. There's, if you're not on the job site, there's nothing for you to do. So you go home, you turn your brain off, you're relaxed. It's amazing. Um, if I was Miles Jack with NFL money that could prop me up, I would probably not be a plumber. Because the smell of poop is awful, and you don't if you don't have to subject yourself to that, don't. Although plumbers make more money. But again, if you have NFL money, don't worry about it. Um, I would go be an electrician if it's at all possible. Like that's I've done electrical work. It's actually really fun. I thought it was dangerous at first. I'm like, once I learned how to, I'm like, no, it's actually not dangerous at all. Just don't be an idiot. Turn the crap off before you start messing with it. It's not that hard. Um, and again, like you can use testers and I, I, you know, electrical is actually surprisingly easy once I got doing it. I was like, oh, this is like no problem at all. So again, I just want to say all this to say like if Miles Jack goes into the trades, I want to follow that story for sure. I maybe would even love to try to reach out to him and have him on the show. That feels like a realistic possibility. That would be very cool to tell the story of what you do after the NFL. Like I'll even, I would go fly to him and be like, hey, Miles, I'll come to you in Seattle. If you go to Seattle, my family's near there visit my mom, hang out with Miles Jack for a day, interview him. That'd be such a cool episode to do. Um, but I also say all of this to say, if you're not sure what to do with your life, you're working at Target, or you're, I don't know, working at a movie theater, whatever, consider the trades. Um, don't go be a stonemason. That's really bad for your back, and it sucks. But HVAC, plumbing, electrical work, like, these are jobs you can do. Another one is, um, i trying to think of the, the right term here, you work on power lines. What's that? A alignment. Literally, like, sounds like a football name, even. Alignment. Got, I got family members who do that. Like, a lot of these trade jobs, there's a ton of availability. They will train you everything. It, you know, you go in, you make a lot of money an hour, and, and you can grow as you go up in your career. Uh, I just want to encourage people, like, I, I know it's a sports show, but if you're not sure what to do with your life and finding direction, I loved the trades. And I, I actually miss it all the time. I really, like, enjoy doing it. And so, um, if you're looking for a direction in your life, I highly encourage that. And if... Miles Jack does, in fact, go become an electrician or a plumber. Let's get him on the show. That would be so cool to hear his perspective on life after football and, and, and working as kind of a common guy. Like, that's so interesting to me. So um, we've been talking about Seattle. Let's stick on Seattle for a second. Seattle Seahawks rookie receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba. Again, JSN, we'll call him. Jackson Smith and Jigba is kind of a, a long one, but we love him. Great player. Unfortunately, he has got uh, a small fracture in his wrist. He's getting wrist surgery. He's going to be out. Pete Carroll said three to four weeks. Um, I love this guy. He's a first-round pick. He's had a great training camp so far. I have high hopes for JSN. Him paired with Deacon Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in an offense that was fun to watch even last year, I think could make Geno Smith even better. Um the timeline, three to four weeks for JSN to come back. It sounds like it must have been a very minor surgery. Minor fracture. They're just trying to make sure he's healthy and continuing, you know, fully at a high level uh, and, and healthy moving forward. Um, you know, week one, the Seattle Seahawks play the L.A. Rams. That's a young team with not a lot of talent. I think you get, get, could get away with your, you know, number three receiver, JSN, not playing and still win that game. If I was Seattle, my hope would be that JSN comes back in time for week two at Detroit. Because that's a tough game against a team I think is going to be really good and hard to beat this year, Detroit. If not, uh, just a, a great football team all around. I would want everything I have available to try to win that football game. So 
Uh, as a guy watching the situation from afar, if you're a Seahawks fan, if you're not, um, I am not, but I, I love to see quarterbacks do well. As an outside observer, I would like to see JSN come back in time for week two at Detroit. Uh, if he's not back week one, don't panic. That's probably better. More time for him to heal and get right. Um, but week two at Detroit, that's the game I would be targeting. Like, can we get him back for that big game week two? That's a big deal. We will see what happens there. Um, I watched Hard Knocks episode three last night. It's, uh, I'm not going to break it all down. Like, episode one of Hard Knocks was awesome. I had a lot to say. The more I watch of Hard Knocks uh, this season with the Jets, I don't have a lot more to say that I haven't said about the first episode. Um, it's just more of the same. It's more of what I love, more of these great, likable characters. Now, there was a moment or two, there was like a a scene where um, they had a, a receiver, former Division II receiver, come in and he did like a, it was the rookie show. They got a redo and he was doing like an Eminem rap. And while it was really cool, I had this moment of realization where if I was in the room watching this guy do a a, a Slim Shady impersonation, right? And it was actually, it was a scene from the, the movie Eight Mile, like re- recounting what he did. I think about the first fourth or half of that performance, I'm like, this is awesome, I love it. By the final, you know, third or fourth or half of the performance, I'd be like, this is long in the tooth. Like, this is a long performance. I'm a bit uncomfortable. I'm, I'm a huge introvert. I'd be in this room full of people like, yeah, it's still going. Uh, like, it's good, but like, uh, wrap it up. You know, I'd be a little bit like, what are we, we're still supposed to like, it's just hard to sustain that level of energy for like an entire performance. But uh, it was cool. And the number one thing that stood out to me, there, there's two things, I guess, but one of them's big, one of them's small. The number one thing that stood out to me was that the Jets have so many likable characters. They've got Robert Saul, this awesome coach who I would die for, dude. You see him running the stairs. He looks like a, frankly, he looks like a, like a WWE wrestler or something. He's a, he's a good looking dude. And not everyone can rock the bald look. He does. He rocks it very well. I hope if I ever lose all my hair, I look as good as Robert Sala, the Jets head coach, does. Probably helps he's got muscles and is built. Um, that's a healthy guy. I really, tip of the cap, you look great. Um, he's got, you got two receivers in uh, the Jets organization, Randall Cobb and Garrett Wilson, who are so likable. They're both very professional. They take their job very seriously. Randall Cobb's this older guy who's got a family, about to have their third kid, his kids call Aaron Rodgers Uncle Aaron. He's a he's a veteran. He's been in the NFL for a long time. Then you got Garrett Wilson, who's got a similar approach, but he's a younger player in his second year. But this equal level of he just takes it so seriously. He's not screwing around. He he's amazing. He's really good at what he does, and he's a high level professional. I love that. Then you got Aaron Rodgers. Like, how can you not love Aaron? You've got Zach Wilson. You've got Quinn and Williams. You've got all these stars being shown off week to week. In Hard Knocks, and it's just really cool. You got great people on this show that are compelling and fun to watch. And, you know, Hard Knocks lost me for a long time. As the years went on, I'm like, I don't, I don't care about this or that. I just can't, can't engage with it. But watching Aaron Rodgers, Robert Sala, Zach Wilson, like that's, that's great television. And I just can't say that enough. If you've never, if Hard Knocks lost you like it lost me, this season is worth watching. It brought me back and made me go, okay, hey. This is cool. I hope next year can do something similar. I don't have a lot of faith in that. This might be a unique situation with just Aaron Rodgers, but man, is it good television. And uh, in my favorite couple moments from episode three, 
There's a moment where Zach Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are on the sideline. Right after Zach Wilson had this huge run during preseason week two, he like spun out of a sack and has a huge run down the sideline and could have gone out of bounds, but then didn't, kind of lowered the shoulder, took a hit. You see this massive smile from Zach Wilson, just like he looks so happy and fulfilled. He's on a bench next to his childhood hero. He had a big play in a football game. His childhood hero is telling him, hey, I couldn't make a run like that. That's a great play. Good job, kid. Like hearing that from Aaron Rodgers has got to be meaningful. And we learned like there's a Zach Wilson's kind of a, a cool cat. Like there's this moment where he's talking about the headband. Aaron's like, oh, you're still wearing the headband? Kind of making fun of him. And Zach's like, no, it's not a looks thing. I literally have to. If I don't wear a headband, I will sweat so bad I can't see. Like my eyes get blocked up by sweat. Um, I love that. People make fun of the headband. I think that's a crucial moment. Everyone makes fun of Zach Wilson's headband. Like I've heard, gosh, when he was getting drafted, people are like, don't draft the headband guy. But it's like, no, no, no. That does make sense. I wore a headband when I played quarterback for the same reason. Now, I had one. I cut a, a sleeve off a T-shirt, just wrapped around my head. I didn't have the whole like cool one that he has. But still, you want that to keep the sweat out of your eyes. It makes total sense to me. And uh, I just think we're humanizing Zach Wilson in a really cool way. I really like it. And uh, one thing worth noting, too, is that the Jets' defensive coordinator, Jeff Ulbrich, really likes Zach Wilson. You can tell watching this show— the way he talks to Zach, the way he talks about Zach, there's a moment where he's talking to Robert Sala. Robert Sala goes, I wish he'd gone out of bounds on that run. And Jeff Olbert goes, it's good for him. He needs to like, this is great for Zach. And you can tell he likes Zach. He's rooting for him. It's so cool to see like a defensive coordinator who, that's not Zach's position coach. That's not, that's just a guy in the same organization who clearly likes and respects him. And they have lots of dialogue together. It's very cool. And I just really appreciate Zach Wilson, man. I really think that there's something there, uh, talent-wise, he, he can play. I think he really struggled with confidence and with direction and finding his way as a human. I think Aaron's helping him with that. He looks like he's having fun, probably for the first time ever wearing a Jets uniform. Like, the all that pressure of being a top pick and the face of the franchise, it's just been lifted away from him. And... He's getting to enjoy his position. And I think can find out he's got an opportunity to sustain that joy and sustain that fulfillment that even when it becomes his time again, he can be at peace about it and be at ease rather than stressed out by it. I just I think there's something to Zach Wilson, man. I think this is the best experience he could have possibly had working with Aaron Rodgers. He looks happier, looks healthier, more confident, more comfortable. He's not a bad dude either. Like you I just everything I watched from Zach Wilson, man. He looks like a, frankly, he reminds me of like, what's that show, Hunter x Hunter? Like the, the main character, the, I forget the name of the kid, but he's like, he's got a big smile. He's a really tiny kid who's like battling against these massive dudes that are like adults. And he just seems to love it. He's like enjoying the moment. I get that same energy from Zach Wilson. That smile is like, that dude's happy. That dude's having fun. And I love to see that because I just don't think we saw that for years during the early parts of his Jets career. So... Man, am I rooting for Zach. I want to see Zach Wilson become the guy in New York after Aaron Rodgers. And I think it's very possible. I think it's very likely. And um, it really is going to depend on how long Aaron wants to play. If he wants to play seven more years in New York, Zach might have to move somewhere else to get playing time. But, man, I, I just think the Jets like him. They want to keep him there. And I think, that, I think the Jets actually believe in him still. I think the Jets still think he can play. And there's something there. And definitely he's benefiting from sitting behind Aaron. So I love it all, man. It's really cool. And I'm rooting for Zach Wilson.
All right. Um, it's time for questions from Patreon. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. Patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. You can support the show uh, with more money if you want to. Please do. Patreon literally pays my rent. A dollar a month is $12 a year. My only guarantee is I look at every single write-in with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple to read on the show. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee, again, I look at everything you write in and submit with my eyeballs. I make the top couple to read on the show. Now, this is not a good time for this, but I want to have this conversation here. I want to mess with the Patreon tiers and figure out a better value for people. Um, one idea I have is I've got a Strong Opinion Sports Discord. I have started and connected to Patreon. I'm working on the back end how to figure that out. But what I want to do is add a perk at the $5 level that you get access to the Discord. Uh, and what that would allow is that once a week or maybe twice a month, we could do a, a show where I record and do a video call with people in the audience that support the show on Patreon through Discord. So like if you are at the $5 level, you're on the Strong Opinions Board's Discord, I want to find a time of day, like, I don't know, um, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, where I can go on and record live it wouldn't be a live show, but I'd be recording and could talk to people on Discord, like actually where it's not them recording a video, like they and I are having a conversation on the show, kind of like a call-in, like an old-style radio show. I want to pull that off. Uh, it's going to require, I'll put that at the $5 level, and I'm going to connect the Discord, so everyone who's got the $5 level on Patreon can also use Discord through Patreon, and then twice a month do a call-in show where You've got the opportunity to maybe come on and talk to me if you want to do that. I like that idea. I think it brings more value to Patreon. Um, now, the other thing, and I'm I'm nervous about this, the, the biggest, um, most supported tier on Patreon is the dollar level. I am considering raising the minimum to $2. Now, um, I want feedback on that. Is that insane? Is Do people not like that? Um if it's possible, what I want to do is have people that are already at the dollar level get grandfathered in. So, like, you never have to pay more than a dollar if you're already there. That way, the price doesn't raise for you. It just would raise for new people. Take away the dollar tier for any new customers. I think that's possible. I like that idea. Because what I don't want to do, if you're already at the dollar tier and have supported me, I don't want to screw you over and make you suddenly just raise a price on you. I want to raise it for new people to $2. I don't know if any of that's possible. I'm working with Patreon Going to get on the phone to them, talk to them, see if all that's possible. But I want to float that idea out there. Inflation is real. Uh, when you support the show at the dollar level, I get 64 cents. That's how much of a cut Patreon and taxes take. So, again, a dollar basically gets me 64 cents. Two dollars would give me actually like a dollar basically worth of support. So, um, I'm playing around with that behind the scenes. Let me know what you think. I don't, I don't want to screw people over. I don't want to do something unfair. I don't want to... Times are tough out there. I understand that they're tough for me. They're tough for you. We're all doing our best. I want to try to provide value through Patreon and also make people feel good about what they're getting in return. So let me know what you think. Is raising the minimum to $2 insane? Um, and also, if it's possible, I like the idea of grandfathering it in, saying if you already support at the $1 level, I want to just close it off to new people, but leave, if the dollar tier is there, just make... No new dollar tier people, but if you're already there, you're already there, and I'm not going to raise it on you. I think I think that's possible. If that's not possible, I probably won't make any changes because I just don't want to – if you're already there at the dollar level, I don't want to make your life more difficult. Um, 
So all that being said, I am working behind the scenes on Patreon to try to make it even better. I hope that's a positive thing, uh, but please feel free to write in, give me feedback. I want to hear from you guys. Uh, the last thing I want to do is make a change, destroy my income, and make your life harder. So I don't, I don't want to rock the boat too bad, but it's worth mentioning all of that. So anyway, Donovan writes in on Patreon. Donovan says, hello, Zach. I'm glad to see you back. <laughs> I like that rhyme. Uh, I have a silly hypothetical situation for you. If you were to wake up tomorrow in Patrick Mahomes' body, like a in a Freaky Friday situation, do you think you'd be able to have a successful NFL year as him? Um, oh man. First of all, you ever seen the, the Lil Dicky music video, Freaky Friday, Chris Brown? Woke up, Chris Breezy. Oh, it's a t I love that song so much. If you haven't watched it, look it up. It's amazing. That's what that made me think of, actually. I've never seen the movie Freaky, Freaky Friday. Actually, I've only ever seen that music video, which is, like, hilarious but true. Uh, I should probably watch that movie someday. Maybe around Halloween I will. Um, yeah, that's one thing that sucks about – I live in Hawaii. Girlfriend does not – doesn't live anywhere in the islands. It'd be so cool to, like – I want her to move out here someday so we can watch movies during – Halloween. Like I, I love watching a good movie during Halloween time with like your partner and you're kind of snuggling up and you got popcorn and whatever. And, um, I don't like the cold weather, but I do like October nights. Something about that high school football is going on. You got late night football games, the pumpkins, like it's not too cold yet. It's just a bit brisk. And I don't like the cold when it's sunny outside, but I like the cold when it's dark for some reason that works better. I don't know. Late night, October nights. That's kind of fun. Anyway, if I woke up in Patrick Mahomes' body, how could I do? Um, look, I just wish I had Patrick Mahomes' height. Uh, I will always believe if I had been six foot five, I would have been a Division One quarterback. I really believe that. I had a lot of looks from college football teams, and the I'm five foot ten and three quarters, basically. Like I'm not even quite five eleven. I I think I I don't I actually don't remember. I think I'm I'm closer to. Uh, I'm, I'm just under 5'11", I believe. I don't actually know. Um, I, it never bothered me. I never thought my height was a problem, but it really bothered college coaches that recruited me. They said, we love you, but we want, we want you to walk on. We're not going to give you a scholarship. You're too small. It was always the feedback I got. Even my first high school football coach said, you're literally too small to ever play high school football. And it was frustrating And I, I or to play college football. I mean, I did get to college, but not the level I wanted. And um if I was 6'2", like Patrick Mahomes, I would have taken that in high school. I think I would have done a lot better in football. Just would have got more opportunities because if you're bigger, you do get more opportunities. And now as an analyst, I understand it, right? I look at Josh Allen and go, I get why coaches would rather have him than me. Like, I understand that. And I'm not even bitter about it. I've accepted my fate. Um, I don't think anybody really finishes their football career when they want to. The very few people, Ray Lewis, you know, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, the rare few walk away on top and at their own will. Most people retire from football, whether that's high school or college or the NFL, when the game tells them it's time rather than them choosing to walk away. Um, if I woke up in Patrick Mahomes' body, could I have a season like him? No. <laughs> no. I have too much respect for Patrick Mahomes to say, like, I could do what Mahomes does. I just need his arm strength and his physicality and, you know, no, I, I have too much respect for how hard he works and the, the effort he's put into understanding NFL defenses. Um, I, I could probably do something. I could probably hang around an NFL team. If I, if I had Patrick Mahomes' skill set, I could probably be a backup in the NFL. I believe that. Um, I, I mean, you'd like to tell yourself like, yeah, I would, 
I could do what Patrick Mahomes does if I had his skill set, but like also part of why he has his skill set is his work ethic. He earned it. He is six foot two. He does have a crazy good arm, but that's not all luck. Like that's also talent, work ethic and, and effort put in and um, training the right way. And, uh, you know, now he did have a, you know, a professional athlete dad. He grew up with money, so he had more opportunities than I did and his life was easier. And um, I, I don't care what his life was like. I know it was easier than mine um, as a kid. And so that also plays a factor. Like we, there's a reason why most quarterbacks come from money. Like it just, you know, you can go to more training camps. You can pay a coach to train you. You can, you don't need to get a job in high school because you can, your parents can pay for stuff. So you can go do football more. Um, it just, there, there's a lot of factors that go into playing quarterback that are away from just your physical talent level. But, uh, I have great respect for Patrick Mahomes and I would never say that I could have a season like he could just because I had his body. Right. Right. That doesn't No. Um, again, I, I have too much respect to ever say that. Maybe Tom Brady could wake up in a freaky Friday situation. Can you imagine? First of all, if I woke up at Patrick Mahomes' body, the number one thing I would do is get driven crazy by his wife. I couldn't handle that. Now, maybe I shouldn't say this. I have a theory about Patrick Mahomes' wife. Um, I, I, it's just too unprofessional to make these jokes about Mahomes' wife. I can't, I, let's just, uh, well, let's not, let's, let's not, but I would, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. Um, if Tom Brady woke up at Patrick Mahomes' body, he'd probably be like, 20 more years, let's go. I can see that happening. I imagine Patrick Mahomes wakes up at my body or, or Tom Brady's body and he wakes up at Tom Brady's body. He's like, dude, what, what the heck? I'm suddenly this old man. I can't run. What, what's going on? He wakes up in my body. He's like, I got screwed. Like what, what's happening here? Like, I, I got to do what now? I got to go talk about myself? Like, what's happening? Uh, a funny thought. I think a more interesting storyline is actually, like, if you're going to make a movie about this this scenario, the interesting story isn't Zach waking up in Mahomes' body. It's Mahomes waking up in Zach's body. Like, that's really where he's like, what happened? I'm sleeping on the floor next to my desk on a sleeping pad? Like, what are we doing? That's a really funny thought to me. Um, anyway, I hope I answered your question, Donovan. Mitch writes in, Mitch says, greetings, Zactimus Prime. I like that. Zactimus Prime. Nah, not bad. I like that one. With the rapid and unexpected success of Brock Purdy, it seems like Kyle Shanahan has built a team that most quarterbacks would do well in. What are some other coaches or teams that you would similarly rate as quarterback friendly? Then he writes a PS. I'll read that at the end in a moment. Um, what... What teams or coaches are quarterback friendly? Um, the Dolphins with Mike McDaniel, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell. They'll have a better running game this year. I can't imagine that's not a team friendly, or, sorry, a quarterback friendly situation. I think you could plug a lot of quarterbacks into Miami and do well. Justin Herbert in Miami right now would do way better than Tua. Tua does well. I'm not taking anything away from Tua, but he can't stretch the field the way that some of these high level huge arm quarterbacks can. Herbert with Mike McDaniel in Miami throwing a Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle would be unbelievable. Kyle Shanahan's one. Uh, Sean McVay's another. I'm convinced no matter what quarterback Sean McVay has, he's going to turn them into some kind of successful beast because he's such a good quarterback coach. He's just a... It's There's so many factors that go into how you coach a quarterback. One of them is the way you talk to them. And actually, I'm going to save... I've got a whole analysis about this in a second... Um, we'll talk about Derek Carr and um, 
Yeah, we'll talk about Derek Carr in a moment and what happened with him last year, and I'll, I'll get more into that. But Andy Reid is another coach like Sean McVay. Maybe the team isn't as set up to help a quarterback, but the coach certainly is going to do well. I mean, he – and, and when Andy Reid gets a good one, you remember Andy Reid did with Michael Vick? Michael Vick was unbelievably talented, and what he achieved with Andy Reid was unbelievable. And uh, it made me wish Andy Reid had had him from day one, quite frankly. Um, now, he, he had a little misadventure off the field, we'll say. Went to prison. <laughs> uh, who knows how that would have been affected. But I love that, that alternate reality thought. Like, what if, what if the Eagles drafted Michael Vick? What if that had been possible? Um, Minnesota's another team, a quarterback-friendly coach and team. Justin Jefferson is, like, the best receiver in football right now. Any quarterback that plays with him is going to benefit. Got an awesome coach, Kevin O'Connell, who played quarterback in the NFL and at a high level in college. So that's a quarterback-friendly situation with a quarterback-friendly coach. Um, Doug Peterson, to some degree, like Doug Peterson made Carson Wentz look like an NFL MVP. Doug Peterson's another coach that is very quarterback-friendly. Those are the ones that come to mind. Maybe Frank Reich, but his track record doesn't show that. So we'll see what happens there. But again, like another part of it, it's not just the coaching staff. You need to have good teammates. Like the 49ers have an amazing team around their quarterback. That's part of why no matter what quarterback plays there, it's going to do well. Minnesota, you've got great receivers there. Good coach, but throwing to Justin Jefferson and, and Jordan Addison, you're going to look a lot better. It's going to help you a lot. So uh, like Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. You think that doesn't help any quarterback who plays there? So, you know, it's not just the coaching staff. It's also the teammates you play with. Clayton writes in, Clayton says, oh, actually, no, I want to continue. Mitch wrote a, a PS real quick that I want to read. I, I really like his analysis of the word strong. Mitch uh, continues his, his writing. I didn't read the second part. He says, I would say that the strong and strong opinion sports stands for strongly held. Even if your takes aren't strong in the spicy or inflammatory sense, your opinions are strong because they are well thought through and are strongly held, which is admirable when it seems that most football commentators trend towards opinions that they know will drive rage engagement. Keep up the great work. Hmm. I really like that, Mitch. I appreciate that. Strongly held opinion sports. Interesting. Strong opinions. I like that, man. That's good. I really think that's a cool perspective on it. And, uh, you know, definitely, if you go watch episode one of Strong Opinion Sports to now, the tone of the show has totally changed. It's a different show. Uh, unfortunately, I think it hurts me. I think that people want, you, you, you need engagement. You need commenters. So you need, you need rage engagement. And I refuse to ever do that. Um, I, <sighs> my favorite musician is John Bellion. John Bellion doesn't make music for like a wide audience. He makes music for other musicians. Basically he's like an, a musician's musician. He makes art for that another artist would appreciate. I, I really believe that. John Bellings even said, I don't want to be Justin Bieber. He makes music for Justin Bieber. He wrote Holy by Justin Bieber. He wrote a lot of stuff that you see all over the place, but he doesn't take credit for it. He doesn't want it. Um, I, I hope this isn't true. I'd love to be Pat McAfee. I was watching Hard Knocks. You see Pat McAfee on Hard Knocks. You're like, ah, it's pretty cool, man. Like, that's good for him. Um, and you see people in this world, sports world, making millions and millions and millions of dollars. Of course I would love to do that. Um, I also, though, like going to the beach and not being recognized. Um, you know? And I don't know if you hear the jet overhead. Air Force going crazy right now. 
I, I you know, I really, I, I'm happy with what I'm, I'd like to make a little more money. It'll be a l- more comfortable, maybe not st- stressed financially. That'd be awesome. But there's a point where like, I don't need any more. Um, and would I love to be the biggest sports host on the planet? Yes. Like, yeah, of course. Um, and I, I, in football, in uh, HVAC, for example, like it's really easy to measure how successful you are. Wins, losses, your stats are literally measured uh, in HVAC, how quickly you're getting an install done, how good is the quality of work. Like I actually haven't figured out how to properly, you know, tell if I'm getting better at podcasting. It's very weird. I think my show is great. My quality is great. My numbers are low. <laughs> and I, uh, But I also, I don't want to live in a world where my obsession, like Logan Paul is someone who his only focus is on making more money, getting more viewers. And I, I think he's a piece of garbage human being. Like he's a horrible person. So I think his values are wrong. Money and views do not feel like a proper metric to, to measure if I'm good at my job or not. I know that's weird. I know most people would disagree, actually. But I hope that, like, my value system is, do I feel good about what I'm making? Is it interesting to listen to? Is it worth watching? Do I think it's high quality? Am I proud of it? Um, is it good stuff? I mean, frankly, like, that's, that's what I, that's, those are my values. And I hope that as I focus on those values, success at a higher level will come. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really not sure. I, you know, we'll see what happens, man. Um, right now I'm doing okay financially, can pay the minimum bills I have and I'd I'd like more, but, um, I don't want people to worry about me. I'm doing okay. Um, and, uh, I think that, you know, your, your analysis, Mitch, uh, of the word strong and strong opinion sports is, uh, appreciated. I like that you're, you're thinking about that. That's very cool. I hope someday my value system is rewarded. I think I'm a good dude, like a good person who I work really hard. Um, I, I want to be rewarded a little more for that. Um, but I, uh, I think I have my value system right. And when I look at clips of like Logan Paul arguing with his brother, Jake Paul, it breaks my heart. I'm like, that, that's not a human being with good values. And yet that's a monumentally successful person, which shows like our society, I think just doesn't value stuff that I value. And um, that makes me sad. I don't know how I got here. Clayton, let's talk to you today. Uh, Clayton writes in, Clayton says, <laughs> hello, Zach's sight spheres. <laughs> I don't know, man. Everything's taken at this point. Yeah. Uh, sight spheres work. It's a lot of S sounds. I don't love S sounds. I like 66 is a word I try to avoid if I can. That was the name of the, the episode number of the show today. I was like, dang it. Right. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe eyeballs we can stick with. That's a, that's a good one there. Um, Clayton says, when talking about expectations for teams before the year starts, people often say for certain teams that it's going to take a while for them to get going and to hold off judgment until later in the year. You said this about several teams and Steve Young is even, Steve Young even has a line about September being the quote real preseason. While this totally makes sense and the logic is sound, Wins and losses are ultimately zero-sum. If one team is doing better in terms of win-losses, that means that another team is doing equally worse. I think all teams will improve their overall level of play as the year goes on. The teams who don't improve as much as their competition will appear relatively to be getting worse. 
Injuries notwithstanding, what teams do you think that might be a risk for? Are there teams, are there any teams that might have some front-loaded success but peter out as the year goes on? Teams that would be good candidates in my mind are those who have low to medium ceiling players or coaches in key spots who are already comfortable or experienced in their system. That would give them an initial advantage but less room to grow with more experience. Teams like Minnesota, Seattle, and Tennessee come to mind for me. The show has been awesome lately. Thanks for all the effort you put into it, Clayton. Thank you, Clayton. Appreciate you. Love you, man. Um, I think the one thing you're not accounting for, Clayton, I actually like your hypothesis there, you know, that a team like Tennessee could win more early because they've got continuity in their system and same players. As the year goes on, they're going to struggle more. But, you know, the, the thing I think you didn't mention that I think is worth talking about in this conversation is the early adjustment period where you have a new system or new players, new coaching staff. Like the Jets have a new quarterback and a new offensive system. It's gonna, there's going to be an adjustment period early on in the year that a team like Miami, Buffalo, the Giants, Seattle, Detroit, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, the Jaguars, teams that have the same coach, same quarterback, and same system as last year, that's an advantage, and they're not going to have that kind of growing pains early on. Like the Eagles have a new defensive coordinator. That's not the worst thing ever. They have got the same offensive system. They did lose their offensive coordinator, but they internally promoted, so it's the same verbiage and same terminology. Um, but it is still going to be the guy in the headset's different. The guy talking to you and you're communicating with all game is a new, different person. So, uh, like the Eagles actually could probably, I took a, a win away from them in my, you know, my prediction adjustments, because I think there is going to be growing pains there with a new offensive and defensive coordinator and a lot of new players on the defensive side of the football. That's a lot to overcome. And I think could, you know, there's a reason why. Kansas City historically dominates in September, but they've had the same system, same coach, same quarterback for years. They are at a huge advantage in the early part of the year. So there's a, Clayton, I, I took a conversation somewhere totally different. You talked about team potential and low ceiling players. I talked about continuity, but you're, you're onto something too there. Like uh, Anthony Richardson is going to be a way better player week 18 than week one. He's got a high potential player. Whereas, how much better is Ryan Tannehill going to get? I mean, that is worth talking about. Um, but, you know, like, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Everyone should always be improving a little bit. And, I mean, seriously, like, if you're not consistently... Now, the better you get or the closer to your potential you get to, your your ability to keep growing diminishes. Like, you're you're getting smaller returns for the same amount of work where you're incrementally getting better rather than taking huge leaps forward. Um, this is the kind of conversation I wish I had access to interview like Ryan Tannehill because, and again, because of politics and because you can't talk to people during their career because they'll get attacked and hated on, it'd have to be after Ryan Tannehill retires. I would love to talk to Ryan Tannehill and be like, hey, when you were playing, let's be real, Ryan. You were not Patrick Mahomes. You... You didn't have the same arm talent. You couldn't run like him. You couldn't make the throws he could. But you were a good player. I mean, no disrespect. What were things that near the end of your career you were still trying to work on and get better at? Because when you watch Anthony Richardson, it's really obvious the things he needs to work on. He's going to throw a bad pick there. Hold on, the Sam Howell holds on to the ball too long in Washington, for example. 
Early in your career, there's all these messy mistakes you're making you got to clean up and fix. But what does Ryan Tannehill need to work on? Like, what is he leaving on the table? And what does he think he's leaving on the table? Like, what is Ryan Tannehill, a guy who I would imagine, if you're any level of professional, you go into the offseason, you're not just hanging out on the beach all offseason. No, no. You're watching your film from last year. You are trying to make adjustments and changes to your game to get better. And again, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse because everyone else around you is getting better. So you're going to fall behind. What does a guy like Ryan Tannehill, a middle-of-the-pack, average quarterback, try to do to get better year to year? That's a fascinating question that I – I guess you can see that on film, but it's so incremental. Like, that's the kind of thing – I'd I'd like to talk to him and hear from him what he thinks. And, uh, again, that's probably something that you got to talk to a quarterback about after their career is over. Um I maybe could interview Alex Smith about that. I bet Alex Smith is a guy I could reach out who's a similar level player who was never Mahomes. Literally, he lost his job to Mahomes. But, you know, I, you know, I, I should try to reach out. He, he, Alex Smith does a lot of stuff. He's very active as a player. Uh, maybe Philip Rivers would do an interview. Maybe. But, man, I, I'm fascinated by these guys who year 10 as a quarterback and you're never going to be the number one quarterback in the NFL. You're never going to be viewed that way because you're just physically not there. What is a guy like Ryan Tannehill working on going into this year? Like, what's a thing he's incrementally trying to get better at? So that's a fascinating question. I, I now we're so far from what we were talking about, Clayton. I don't, I don't know. Clayton, we, we totally went a separate direction, but I, I love you, man. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for the write-in. Um, Oh, he, and, and by the way, Clayton says, the sh- show has been awesome lately. Thanks for all the effort you put into it. Appreciate you. Ant writes in, Ant says, and this is, is this is this Ant-Man? Did Ant change his name from Ant-Man to just Ant? If he did, that's disappointing because I like calling Ant-Man. Anyway, Ant writes in and says, hey there, Zach and Cheese. Hope all is well. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I like it. Zach and Cheese. I was curious about something you mentioned in one of your previous episodes regarding Zach Wilson saying, quote, I'm done stressing about football. It reminded me of the story about Mike McDaniel showing Tua some of his highlights to strengthen Tua's confidence. Do you think it's possible that a reason for Derek Carr's shortcomings last year were due to a loss of confidence? When you think about it, he was surrounded by a coaching staff who didn't want him and had the weight of expectations from Vegas fans. I think it's very likely that Derek Carr will thrive in New Orleans with a coaching staff that wants him around and a weak division that could help him regain some of his confidence. Thanks for reading my post with your eyeballs. Keep up the great work. I always look forward to every episode, Ant. Thank you, Ant. Appreciate you, man. Um, wow, that's a good writer. That's a good thought. That's a storyline to track with Derek Carr. Does Derek Carr look confident and wanted? You know, psychologically, man, the quarterback position is so much in your head. It's so psychological. Yes, you have to make every throw. Yes, you have to understand defenses. Yes, you have to do all the stuff. Like, you can have everything right. Like, you know how to read a defense. You uh, have good arm talent. You can run. You can throw. But if you don't have confidence and psychologically aren't in a good place, you're screwed. You can have everything else right. But if your psychological mind frame of mind, your, your confidence isn't there, it's not going to matter. Wow, that's so interesting. And... I have, how do I, so I, I really don't brag about the people I know in the NFL. I really don't, 
I really, really try not to. I try to downplay it a lot. Um, that also, another thing I talked earlier about how like my, my approach to the show probably hurts me. I don't brag. I don't, I don't brag. I don't flex on people. I don't, I think it's disrespectful. I think it's bad to people, you know, but I will, I will hear, I'm not flexing, I guess, but I know some stuff and it sounds to me like Derek Carr Derek Carr didn't like, I'm getting goosebumps. Derek Carr didn't like Josh McDaniel's coaching style. It sounds to me like that's what was going on last year with the Raiders. It was it was two guys that just didn't work well together. And part of being a good coach is doing what Mike McDaniel, who is not related, Josh McDaniel's coach of the Raiders, not related at all to Mike McDaniel, no S, the Dolphins head coach. Mike McDaniel Tua understands part of my job as coach. Give my player confidence. Because if you need to succeed as a quarterback, you got to make good throws. You got to read a defense, good footwork, able to move, and you got to have confidence. Part of a huge part of the quarterback position is confidence. And Josh McDaniels, the coach of the Raiders, for years worked with Tom Brady. Tom Brady doesn't need to be given confidence. Tom Brady is confident. Tom Brady's Tom Brady. When you work with Tom Brady, you don't need to worry about giving him confidence through coaching. He, he does it enough on his own. But when you work with Derek Carr, who's had a, a rocky career, isn't as established of a quarterback as Tom Brady, you're the new guy in town. You didn't pick Derek Carr. Hey, a good job occasionally goes a long way. Instilling confidence in a player. I know like a, a hard-ass guy would say, you know... It's a player shouldn't need to be given confidence. Like, do you want to win or not? If you want to win, you should probably instill confidence in your quarterback. You don't want to give a guy false confidence, being blowing smoke up his bum. That's that's a bad approach, too. But man, where you can, give a good job. Where you can, praise a player. Where you can, show them what they're good at. Because it helps the quarterback do better. It's that simple. It's so easy. Like, hey, good job. This is a great throw. Do more of this. You know what? You're really good at that. We're going to call that play more. I, I love my my favorite coach in the NFL is Mike McDaniel. He's interesting to listen to. He's entertaining. He's fun. But the best thing, and it's a, a thing that's shared with him, McVay, Kevin O'Connell, all these young coaches in the NFL, but Mike McDaniel does it more than anyone. And Mike McDaniel was the best at it. Mike McDaniel does not talk down to you when he's coaching you. Mike McDaniel, when he coaches you as a player, he's a coach, you're a player, you're actually similar ages. He's a very young head coach. He doesn't talk down to you. You're on the same level. We're working together here. It's not a dictatorship. It's a partnership. And Mike McDaniel, the coach of the Dolphins, is so good at making his players believe in themselves, feel comfortable, talking to them on their level. I, I really think he is like at the cutting edge of how you talk to your players. Like Bill Belichick, you hear stories about him. He's hard to get a good job out of. And that worked in the old NFL, but who's been struggling recently to win? Bill Belichick. Why wouldn't he just tell Mac Jones, you're our guy, I love you, good job. Is that too difficult? I don't think so, but apparently it is for Bill Belichick. 
Where does Josh McDaniels, the coach of the Raiders, different coach now, where does he come from? The Patriots organization. And, you know, Josh McDaniels, unrelated to Mike McDaniel, Josh has a different coaching style. He's more of that talk down to you. He's less of that partnership guy. More akin to Belichick. Harder to get a compliment from. And if you're a player who's struggling with confidence, you've been through a lot in your career, coaches left, players left, wins and losses, injuries, whatever, you're, you're a little more fragile maybe than Tom Brady is to coach. Goes a long way to say, I believe in you. Now, maybe the guy says, I don't want to give this freaking guy confidence. Let's just bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. It's easier. He believes in himself. I don't have to baby him. I can see that being a conversation had behind the scenes. But, but, um, you know, the, how do I, how do I, how do I end this? How do I, how do I close this out? I, I just don't think that the, the, I don't believe that the style of coaching from Josh McDaniels was what was needed for Derek Carr last year. They didn't work well together. And I think part of that is because of how he was treated by his coach. It matters. And you may not say, you may say, if you're a coach, man, I don't want to baby this guy. I don't want to figure out how to give him. Your job is to win. And if you want to win, you got to instill confidence in your quarterback. You may think that's annoying. You may think that you shouldn't have to do that. But that is your job. That, that is your job because your job is winning and that's part of winning. Part of being successful is helping your quarterback do the best he can possibly do, especially if you're an offensive-minded head coach. So, man, that's a good topic. That's good stuff, man. I, I really believe that. I, I love the way Mike McDaniel coaches, man. Helping his quarterbacks feel confident, believe in themselves. And, uh, oh, man. I, I'll tell you a story, guys. I had a coach in high school. I got I got a... Again, I can't say stuff. I don't want to get people in trouble. Um, I transferred high schools after my sophomore year of high school. Went from Portland, Oregon to Vancouver, Washington. Across the river, we lived in a mobile home in a rich neighborhood. All my friends drove BMWs and, like, you know, Audis and freaking Mustangs to, to school. I walked, and then eventually a drug dealer gave me a Jetta for free, and I drove a Jetta that didn't work and had, like, all the doors locked, and you would find baggies of random crap in, the, like, the... the uh, the, the heat vents and stuff, like horrible car. I didn't fit in there. I moved from Portland, inner city school to the suburbs, and it was very interesting. But my junior year, I had a coach who was awesome. He like really helped me with the offense, was great. And my senior year, he went to another high school to become the head coach. He did so well. I guess I, I did well last year enough that he, he convinced another team to hire him as their head coach. So I lost my offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. I loved him. I got a new quarterback coach who had played quarterback at Eastern Washington in college who went from the offensive line coach to the quarterback. I want to tell you something. I think he's a great coach. I would imagine as the years went on, he became an even better quarterback coach. My, I felt like a guinea pig. I was his first year being a quarterback coach, and we didn't vibe, man. He had been working with offensive linemen for years. I'll tell you what. Your fragile quarterback doesn't need the same coaching that your offensive linemen do. You can't talk to him the same way. And I got butt hurt a lot the way he talked to me. 
I'm not proud of that. I'd love to have actually this guy on the show someday. This my my senior year of high school quarterback coach. It'd be an interesting interview to talk to him about coaching and what he's doing and kind of catch up. I've always wanted to catch up with him, and we always talked about it. it never happened. I've got love for him and I've got empathy for him, but he he ripped me a new one a couple times and it really really hurt me. Um, I I had a run my first game of my senior year. Amazing run. I made a spin move. It was super awesome. Um, and like, I ran for like 30 yards and I wasn't, I viewed myself always as like Tom Brady. Like I sit in the pocket, I'm a pocket quarterback. I don't run. And I was kind of experimenting with my ability to run the football and it was going pretty well. And I had this big run spin move sideline goes crazy. I'm like, yeah, I need to run the football more later in the game. We run zone read. I, I made the wrong read. I kept it on the goal line. I got hit. I fumbled coach rips me a new one. I barely ran the rest of the year. That was the wrong approach. I should have I should have had probably a man-to-man conversation with him. I'm 18. I, don't, I guess I was 17. I don't know what I was doing. But because I got ripped a new one, I didn't really run the football all year the rest of the year. And I should have. It was a part of my game I should have developed. But I was so scared of getting yelled at, I never did it again. That's all bad. I was a kid. I should have. If I was an adult now got yelled at, I'd say, hey, let's talk about it. I want to change this part of my game. But I didn't know at 17 years old how to have a mature conversation like that. How to say, hey, coach. You yelled at me. It hurt my feelings. This is a part of my game I want to develop. I think I can be good at. Um, I'm going to experiment with it. Do you support that? Can we talk about it? I never had the conversation with him. It just hurt our relationship getting screamed at like that. And I lost his trust. I didn't feel like he was confident in me. I didn't experiment. It was it damaged our relationship getting screamed at by him in game number one. And it hurt our, it hurt our relationship. It never recovered. And I, as I reflect on that as an adult... Looking back nine years ago when I was 17, you know, like, again, I wish I'd handled it differently. I wish I'd talked to him. I wish I'd had a different approach, but it really messed with me, man. At the time, I wasn't able to take that criticism. It felt like criticism felt like he was mad at me. Probably going back to when my mom was a kid, she would yell at me and that was because she was mad at me too. I was always afraid of getting yelled at. Um, Probably why I'm so quiet now actually is because of that. And it was just a rift in our relationship. And so... He didn't coach me the way I needed to. I don't fault him for that. First year coach, coaching quarterbacks. He did a great job after I left. He was an awesome human being. He was my drawing teacher. I loved him. Like as a human, I love him still. But the way he coached me did hurt me. Uh, And I think it hurt my senior year a little bit. And man, you know, you look back on those moments in your career and you're like, "Mm, I was just, I didn't know what I was doing yet. I was a kid. Um, But you, you think about Derek Carr, Derek Carr had probably the worst year of his career last year with the Raiders. He had a coach who bailed on him two weeks left in the year, who never made him feel wanted. And clearly they didn't pull my pen apart. Clearly they didn't get along. It didn't work out. And so, man, I just, uh, I just, I just see the Raiders last year and I see it. It makes total sense why they, they didn't, they went their separate ways and why Carr didn't want to stay and why, he left the team early. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes there. And the way you talk to your quarterbacks really matters. Am I making sense there, by the way? I don't want you to baby people, but you got to adjust your coaching style depending on the person you're working on. That's all I'm saying. Um, and by the way, I'm not proud that I got yelled at and like fell apart. I, I wish I had the mental fortitude to handle that better. And I didn't like fall apart as a person. We talked all year, but I definitely... I put up a barrier between him and I that I didn't ever take down the rest of the year. And I wish I'd had the maturity to not do that and just lean into it and talk about it rather than kind of get defensive and, you know, 
not quite trust him fully after that point. So I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, Raw Prospect Podcast writes in, says, with the rise in three safety packages and dime becoming base much more often in passing situations, do you think linebackers will be the next position to have their value diminished like running backs? Yes. Linebacker value is already diminishing. What's the defensive counterpart to the running back? It's a linebacker. The three positions losing value in the NFL right now, unless you're Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, are tight end, linebacker, and running back. They all kind of guard each other, right? A linebacker guards tight ends down the seam or running their routes, and they're a part of the running game, stopping running backs. You know, also both have to do with the running game. Tight ends block, running backs run, linebackers stop both. Outside of the top tight ends in football, tight ends not a highly coveted position either. Those are the three positions right now struggling with value and finances. Linebacker, running back especially, then tight end is third because at least they can do something in the passing game. It's a passing league, man. You still need linebackers. I watched the play Troy Die in preseason week two. Troy Dye made an amazing play. He's a linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings. Malik Willis playing quarterback for Tennessee. Troy Dye starts to carry vertically with the guy running deep. And then, and, and he he sells it, man. It looks to the quarterback, Malik Willis, to myself playing quarterback, if I've been playing quarterback. I'm like, hey, my crosser route's coming open. Troy Dye is carrying vertically. I got a window here. And right as he throws the ball, Troy Dye reverse pivots. He'd man turned to the, the running receiver, reverse pivots, goes back to his lane, gets into the throwing lane, picks up the ball, and you're like, that's an amazing play. That's such a skilled, high-level interception. I love that. One of the best plays I've seen all preseason that's not even going to get really talked about. It's amazing. So linebackers still have can do amazing stuff and, and put good film on good stuff on tape and do great stuff, but value is diminishing for linebackers. And I think of Pittsburgh, one of Pittsburgh's weaknesses is their inside linebacker position. And in a passing league where you don't run the football as much as you used to, like I guess they play Baltimore and Cleveland twice a year, so that's maybe not as as good. But in a passing league, if you're a little bit weak at linebacker, I can live with that, inside linebacker particularly. The guys who are more involved in the running game, I'm okay with that. I can if that's the weakness of your football team, that's not a bad spot to be weak, um, because it, it just they're they're the game is changing, and if you're not revolving around the passing game, you're less valuable than you used to be. Running backs are the most undervalued position, then linebackers, then tight ends. Everyone else really has to do with the passing game. Defensive ends getting after quarterbacks, left tackles protecting quarterbacks, quarterbacks themselves, receivers, defensive backs, safeties, all that stuff. Highly coveted because they all revolve around the passing game. But in a league that's becoming more and more like seven and seven, seven on seven, I think defensive tackles are still valued because they still also can generate a pass rush and get after a quarterback. But they are necessary to stop the running game too. It's a passing league, and the way players are paid, the way players are valued, is starting to reflect that more and more. Nick writes in. Nick says, "Howdy, howdy, Zach. I like howdy. I say howdy a lot." It's weird. I live in Hawaii. I give like a shaka all the time. I'm like, yeah, what's up? And then I also say howdy. I'm like, howdy. I've got a friend. What's the, what's the guy upstairs name? Uh, Rocky? What's his name? I think his name's Rocky. I go like, howdy, Rocky. I forget his real name. Um, I say howdy all the time here. I, people have no idea what, what to do with me. I'm a white guy 
who like I've kind of assimilated a Hawaiian culture a little bit here in certain ways. But then I say howdy. Uh, when I have my truck on island, I drive a truck. I wear sandals. Like people do not know what to do with me. They're like, what bracket of human do you fit into? Like I have, I have no idea either. Um, Nick writes in and says, you touched on the Big 12 last week, and I feel like not enough people are truly talking about it. I feel the Big 12 has set themselves up to be the next best conference after the Big 10 and SEC. If we see Clemson and Florida State move conferences and the Big 12 can pick up teams like Virginia Tech, Boston, Pittsburgh, um, Boston College, that is, and South Carolina, I think instead of seeing a power two in college football, we could see a college three. I would love to hear your thoughts or critiques on this, Nick. A college three? Um, something like that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. We still have a Mountain West, Conference USA, the MAC. It's weird we still have these lower leagues that are considered still Div- Division One football, but and there's the differentiation between Division One AA and the MAC or the Mountain West, but they're really closer to Division One AA than they are. Like, you know, uh, Boise State, they're in the, the Mountain West. Boise State has more in common with a, a program like Eastern Washington than they do have in common with Alabama, right? It's kind of like how you and me have more in common with a millionaire than a millionaire has in common with a billionaire. It's just a totally different level. And the 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 gap, right, uh, in finances, in talent level, and everything in college football, it's, it's growing farther and farther apart every day. Um, I think the Big 12, though, they will never be financially or talent-wise at the same tier as the Big Ten or the SEC. They are always going to be a close little brother, at least in the next 10 years, right? And, and probably for much longer because the programs they have don't have as much passion, don't have as much money or whatever. Um, but being a clear third behind the Big Ten and SEC, not a bad spot to be. The Big 12 has great leadership. I believe in their existence. They're going to be okay. I feel more confident in the Big 12 than I do in the ACC, actually. I think the Big 12 has really solidified themselves and done a good job. They're self-aware. They're smart. They know where they belong. I feel good about their future. And if, as, you know, the college football play, I think, is still going to expand, even though the Pac-12 is completely devoid and dead, I could see a world where the Big 12, all they're trying to do, their goal is every year as a conference trying to produce one team, Different team every year, probably, that if they can have one team a year out of the Big 12 that can compete with the Big 10 or the SEC, get to the playoff, win a playoff game, be competitive, that's a huge victory for them. If they can have one team a year out of the Big 12, maybe one year it's BYU, next year it's Houston, year after that it's Utah, even if it changes year to year, they don't have to have one dominant program. But if one team a year out of the Big 12 can be competitive at the highest level of college football, it's a huge victory. That would be awesome for them. Have one team make the playoff, make a lot of noise, beat a Michigan or a whatever, you know, LSU, whatever, you know, a top-level program, Florida, Auburn, whatever. You can have a team that's beating, regularly have a couple wins over the other conferences out of the Big 12. That would be a huge victory for them. And uh, that's what I'm hoping for and what I'm looking forward to for the Big 12 in years to come what do we have left i think we have two left we have will and then tony cheese and i think we have hmm yeah we, we have two left i have one from lionheart i'm not gonna read it because 
I don't have a great answer for it yet. I don't want to sit and think about it longer. Will writes in and says, Will, oh, sorry, Will, Will writes in. Will says, hey, Zach and the Beanstalk, another good one. Zach and the Beanstalk, Jack and the Beanstalk, if you don't know the reference, great one. Um, Will says, one of my biggest surprises from the preseason is how good the Steelers offense has looked. Do you think this is fool's gold or do they have an actual shot at being a serious contender if this carries over to the regular season? Um, Will, why do you only give me the options of the Steelers are fool's gold or a Super Bowl contender? Well, those are so far apart from each other. What about something in the middle? Um, the AFC is loaded. And given how good the AFC is, the Steelers therefore are probably still a year or two away from being a contender. Another great playmaker on offense and another probably stud pass rush. Like if they can get another guy to pair with TJ Watt and one more great receiver, bam, you've got an incredible Steelers team that could probably win a Super Bowl. Um, Pittsburgh right now, if they were in the NFC, would be competing for a NFC title probably. Like, and the Steelers are really close. It's just they unfortunately play in like such tight competition against the best quarterbacks we've ever seen play the game. Incredibly loaded football teams. Great coaching staffs everywhere. Um, you know, right now, the Steelers are Kenny Pickett, Mike Tomlin. They're both probably a B right now, not an A-level coach or quarterback. And so I, I have great respect for Mike Tomlin. No disrespect there. But there's a reason Mike Tomlin isn't in the same you know, mentioned regularly with the same elite coaches in the NFL. Um, he's he's a guy who's probably a B plus. Succeeded for a long time, won a Super Bowl, did some good stuff, winning season we winning season basically every year. I think actually literally every year. Uh, but Mike Tomlin's not an A level like A plus level coach in my opinion. He's more of a B plus, which is respectable and great. Um, but I don't think they're a contender. I definitely don't think the Steelers are fool's gold either, though. And definitely, though, the thing I just said about Mike Tomlin will get picked apart and probably be the central focus now of this topic. I didn't mean for that. I love the Steelers' offense. I was pissed off I couldn't draft George Pickens in my fantasy football league because I think he's going to be amazing. I believe in him a ton. Sam Colburn, I hate you. Please trade me, George Pickens. I will trade you. Let's... Bring in real life. What do you want in real life? You want to come on the show? Uh, is that even allowed? Can Would my fantasy league mutiny if I did a trade for George Pickens and just said, hey, I'll, you can come on the show? Uh, if I don't know. It's not, see what I mean? Like, how can I... I watched that show, The League, for an episode, uh, and they're like, you can have the first pick if I can name your firstborn baby, right? <laughs> like, insane stuff like that. I can't think of anything like that I could I'd possibly offer, but I want George Pickens so badly. Kenny Pickett, George Pickens, it's going to be an incredible duo this year. I really believe in them. If they can draft like Marvin Harrison Jr. next year, woo, it would be amazing. Like they'd be an incredible dynamic offense, very similar to Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Um, if if they could somehow get another amazing pass rusher like TJ Watt, you know, someone not that doesn't have to be as good as TJ Watt. That's like too hard to probably find, but um, someone who could pair up with him and be another great pass rusher off the edge. Like they really are. I think a Steelers like two players away from a Super Bowl, probably. Um, so I don't, I don't think they're a contender necessarily. I think they're still a bit of ways, but they're not, they're not fool's gold. Like go watch the film of Kenny Pickett last year. He did great. And I've been trying to pinpoint what he can do to get better. It's kind of hard to 
figure out because he actually did so many things well last year. And uh, man, I love Kenny Pickett. He did a great job. So yeah, they're not fool's gold, but they're also not a Super Bowl contender. They're just a really good football team that unfortunately is in the AFC, not the NFC. Tony Cheese writes in, says, Yo-ho, Zachman Jones. Pac-Man Jones reference. I love that one. That's great. Tony says, allow me to cut right to the cheese. <laughs> I was thinking the other day about games that are, that quote, under-delivered relative to the hype surrounding them. Even I, a Tom Brady fanatic, couldn't help but feel disappointed after Super Bowl 55 turned out to be a one-sided masterclass by the Buccaneers defense as opposed to the epic quarterback battle between Brady and Mahomes. Do you have any games in recent memory that you feel this type of way about? Sincerely, Tony Cheese, a proud member of the Zack Pack. And then he gives a little salute emoji and like the, the cheese emoji. Tony Cheese, well done all around. We love that. Um, we love that here at Strong Opinion Sports. We meeting me. I'm the only employee, only person here. Um, games that were disappointing. Seattle beat Denver in the Super Bowl 43-8. to That comes to mind. I fell asleep during that game. I fell asleep during that game. One more time. I fell asleep during that game. It was disappointing. Not because it wasn't exciting. It was just a blowout. It was like so uninteresting. And we had going into that game, the best offense in the NFL, Denver Broncos, and the best defense in the NFL, Seattle. Meeting in the Super Bowl. You couldn't write a script even better than that. Peyton Manning against the Legion of Boom. And Peyton Manning that year had 55 touchdown passes, threw for over 5,400 yards. I was amped. I'm like, yeah, let's see what happens. The defense dominated. Manning was awful. <laughs> it was not a good game. Horrible, horrible game for Peyton Manning. Got embarrassed in the Super Bowl. Not that I hate defense, but like I wanted a, I wanted to be close and interesting, and it was 43-8. to eight. 43-8 to eight, Seattle beat Denver in the Super Bowl, um, and it was just not fun to watch. I mean, it was if you're a Seahawks fan, I'm sure it was. I'm impartial. I wanted a good game. Not a good game. Overwhelming dominance by Seattle. And uh, I wonder what the ratings were in the second half. Like, I'm sure people just kept the game on, eating guacamole with their friends, but no one was engaged in that second half. Come on. Come on now. Another one that comes to mind, Super Bowl 53. It was... Uh, the Patriots beat the Rams 13-3, to Jared Goff's first Super Bowl. Um, I'd love to see Jared Goff go back to the Super Bowl, by the way. Like you say, if you lose a Super Bowl debut, you never go back. I would love to see him break that trend. Uh, you know, Jared Goff, I would imagine that moment was a bit big for him, a bit intimidating. At least, at least compared, like, like Tom Brady, the uh, opposing quarterback, had been there before, much more comfortable, I would think. If Jared Goff ever goes back to the Super Bowl, he won't be uh, intimidated at all. He's been there, done that before, and would be ready for that moment. Um, like, what a... People realize... I guess people forget Jared Goff. He's been through a lot in his NFL career. He's done a lot of high-level stuff. I actually feel more confident in him because of the losses he's had is that I don't think any moment now for Jared Goff can ever be too big, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but, like, I, I think Jared Goff is so underrated in the NFL. Anyway, in the Super Bowl, Rams lost to the Patriots 13-3, to it was just a boring Super Bowl, man. The Rams had this amazing offense, and they got, frankly, dominated and shut down by Bill Belichick and his Patriots defense. And uh, this is boring. It was just a boring Super Bowl. Disappointing, not fun, a letdown for me. And uh, 
Those are the two Super Bowl games that come to mind. Seattle beating Denver 43-8. to And I mean, the Rams offense that year, I believe it was 2018, they were second in offense. They were like the number two offense behind Kansas City that year. And, uh, you know, like that's the year they had that amazing game. Samson Ibukam had, a, I think, two touchdowns actually on defense, former high school teammate of mine. And, um, that, you know, the, the game where like the – it was the the color rush game. L- look up Rams Chiefs color rush game. Best highlight video you ever watched your entire life. Probably fourteen minutes on YouTube. Twelve to fourteen minutes of just amazing, amazing fun. Like just a great game that, like you you can never relive that moment once you watch a football game and you know what happens. You can never get it back. It's kind of like watching The Hangover for the first time. Spoilers for The Hangover. The first time you see Mike Tyson and you're like. What? He's in this movie? Oh my gosh. Like it comes out and there's a moment with a car where you're like, I did not see that coming at all. But you can never rewatch that. It, you've already seen it happen. Um, same with that game. That that Chiefs Rams game. Probably my favorite game I've ever watched in my entire life. And a part of it's because a high school teammate of mine was killing it. Part of it was just because it was like exciting and amazing. But I believe it was Monday Night Football, I think 2018. And the the Rams had like all yellow, Chiefs had all red uniforms. Just a masterpiece, great game, so fun. Maybe the Chiefs had white on top because I think you have to wear a white uniform. But maybe Color Rush gets an exception. I can't remember. You know I'm gonna watch that after recording this. I can't wait to watch that video back. Anyway, guys, that's all I have today. I love you. I appreciate you very much. The next episode of today of the show, I'm recording it after this, but it will not come out till tomorrow is a breakdown of my first ever fantasy football draft. I hope you watch it. hope you like it. hope you have a great day. Uh, and I will always keep fantasy football content separate from the regular show. That way, if you don't like it, you're not subjected to it at all. Have a great day. Love you. Appreciate you. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.